My name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three movie podcast for a movie we incorrectly identified last week as The Secret of Ariete. It is, in fact, called The Secret World of Ariete. As I said, I am Tom Chick, and I am joined this week with two other fellows who saw the movie. First, we have uh, Christian Mertzky. Mer- 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 you can just call me farther, not further. Huh? You would pick up on that. Grammar nerd. <laughs> uh, uh, and with a tagline that applies, hopefully, to the secret world of Ariety, Kelly Wand. Finally, a movie that taps into Lou Dobbs' primal fears of British mythology. <laughs> Did you read about that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, well, isn't Lou Dobbs something of a xenophobe? And isn't that a reference to something maybe 10 years ago? <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. He's yeah, I, I completely missed your reference, so go ahead and explain to me, because I'm sure folks listening got that, but I missed he it. He laughed without even knowing. Like, well, Lou Dobbs, does it, doesn't he have some sort of xenophobic uh, like stances on immigration? Am I misremembering that? He had a thing this week. It's really awesome. I highly recommend watching it, although then you are part of the problem. But he uh, attacked the Lorax and Secret World of Arietti for indoctrinating our children into <laughs> green energy propaganda messages and he he says it's turning them into occutots what is an occutot they occupy wall street but they're kids like they're grow they're going to become they're going to grow up to become occupy Kelly wall street. Wanda, it sounds to me like you read an article on the onion and didn't realize it was on the onion no no you misunderstand we're living through the onion and idiocracy <laughs> those were predictive <laughs> It's not well, you know what? Let's get into that in a little bit, because maybe there, you know, maybe some of us on this podcast maybe, yeah. agree with Lou Dobbs. I'm maybe not, he's the only one making sense. We'll see. Uh, not, but you know, before he's... that would require spoilers uh, relating uh, to the secret world of Ariadne. So let's not do that yet. If you haven't seen the movie, keep listening for a second, because now uh, Dingus is going to tell you what this thing is, but he's going to use entirely spoiler-free language. Dingus, what did we see this week? What just happened? <laughs> this week we saw The Secret World of Arietti, mm. a 2010 Japanese animated adventure fantasy movie about uh, a girl coming of age as a borrower. Oh. Mm-hmm. We saw the 2012 American release, which was supervised uh, yes. and directed by Gary Rydstrom. The original was directed by Hiromasa Yonabayashi, planned and written by... Hayao Miyazaki, and written by Keiko Niwa, based on the novel The Borrowers by Mary Norton. It stars Bridget Mendler, Will Arnett, Amy Poehler, David Henry, and Carol Burnett. The movie is rated G for name-calling and wine-glass-raising and crow violence. (laughs) Kalewan, how long do you think he had to practice the Japanese names? Six borrowers. (laughs) Six inches. Uh, all right. So, uh, borrowers opened uh, with a respectable 6.4 million box office, considering that it was a fairly small release, no big names, it's Japanese import. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, currently 94% of the reviews are positive. Metacritic, which tracks the overall average of review scores, has it at 80%. Ah. So, that said, let's now spoil 
the secret world of Ariati with an exhaustive blow-by-blow recount of everything that happens in the movie. Kelly Wan, I think you might be the man for that job. Oh, yeah, well, I wrote something about it, so I don't know Good. if I'm the man for the job. Do you think I maybe borrowed you, words. Could yeah. you provide a synopsis of some sort? Oh, you mean a secret world of Ariatsis? <laughs> Rock and roll. You guys said Ariatsis. Like, oh, it's a Japanese name, but it's from the... Uh... Anyway, hey, I read it. By the way, George Lucas, he's making three prequels about the stormtrooper who hit his head, but he's re-CGing the original so that the wall hits first. <laughs> wow. Did, did you write that, Kelly Wand? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Secret World of Ariatsis. By the way, real quick, I want to make a prediction that is not the last that we hear about Star Wars on this podcast. Well. You mean tonight or ever? Tonight. I think mm. we're just getting warmed up. Anyway, go ahead. I cut you off, Kelly Wand. The Secret World of Ar- Ariapsis. So you consider Jake Lloyd an awesome performer and Phantom Menace a great movie. Okay, never mind. See? No, there. I just You just made my point. <laughs> did? Damn it. It's not what I wanted to do. All right. Secret World of Ariatsis. Uh, Ariati Clock. Guess she was named after her grandfather, <laughs> JK, is a plucky two-inch-tall red-headed borrower who lives with her dad, Pod, and her mom, Homily, in the walls of a Japanese house. Since borrower is a slur, though, and little people was taken, they prefer to be known as thieves or Trixie Bagginses. <clears throat> Considering rats and cockroaches also live in there with them, they don't get attacked much, although I'm not sure what they do for meat. Maybe homilies, fastidious Victorian kitchen utensils psychosomatically improve the taste of roach. Although Pod tells his daughter, we only borrow what we need. They seem to have a lot of pots and pans, but no ice. They mount a risky expedition just to get a single sugar cube, but have a surplus of tea. So those microscopic gas burners on homily's stove work awesomely. What? All right, rock and roll. Go on. <laughs> we never see their bathroom, but I'm assuming from the sugar cube that their dental hygiene's way more advanced than ours, which makes sense since if their ant-sized brains have speech and language centers, they're obviously aliens or from the future. Since they look vaguely Japanese but have British names and American accents, my money's on aliens. They live in a house inhabited by a kindly old lady who sort of knows about them and thinks they sound awesome, and a mannish maid named Hara. Oh. <sighs> Really? Yeah, a maid named Hara, that's right, uh, who also seems to know about them and wants to capture them and become famous and rich as the maid who put the borrowers in a jar. I hate you people. (laughs) I mean, also staying in the house is a handsome, full-size teenage Japanese boy named Sean. Sadly, love between him and Arietti can never be because she's two inches tall and he's five foot eight. <laughs> Although he also has a bum ticker. Come on, guys, this rotten fruits too. So it's kind of a wash. Arietti loves his gentle nature and the way he leaves her little love letters by the grating with the sugar cubes. Her dad filched from his grandma's kitchen. Show, for show. He's staying there because his parents thought living in a house with an insane maid who claims she once saw little demons living in the chimney will be good for his heart murmur. 
He tells Zerietti he's having an operation soon, but he doubts it'll work. He has a pretty good sense of what's medically possible talking to a hot two-inch-tall teenage girl with a perfectly functioning heart. (laughs) The doctors call my condition a prolapsed red herring, Sean Mopes. I know it's red from movies. Sorry about your minor cardiovascular inconvenience, Arietti tells him. That's way worse than worrying about getting eaten by nine million different species every time I leave my room. Arietti has another love interest named Spiller. Hmm. Euphemism. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, Akitat. JK. Uh, Spiller is brave, resourceful, generous, her own age, alone, and unattached at the moment, but he's also unkempt, so Arietti only likes him as a friend. He can glide around at night by air, left unmolested by owls, because they only see him as a friend, too. Arietti now has too, too many love interests Pod finds unsavory. Although Homily takes a shine to the sick kid when he causes an earthquake to replace their kitchen with the shinier bronzer one from Dollstair... Dollstair... <laughs> Yeah. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> you don't need to heckle me. It writes. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Homily loves her new Monaran sized George Foreman whisk, but when Har almost beheads a crow in a window screen using a newspaper, Pod's adamant that staying would be too risky, and their safest bet is to wander into the wilderness and hope not to get eaten by clams or raccoons. He then gravely announces that he'll be absent for the rest of the movie, quote, making sure our escape route is safe. Unfortunately, he forgets to start with the room he's saying this in, and Homily is soon discovered by Hara, forgets to run away, and is put in a jar with holes in it in a standalone kitchen unit somewhere else on the grounds. Arietti enlists Sean to help her find her mother, which Sean tricks Hara into revealing by asking her to make him some chocolate milk in the kitchen and noticing where her eyes stray. Good thing they were in the right room when he asked. They save Homily and make the maid look insane in front of a couple of exterminators. Come up, it's. Although the grandma characters all are borrowers, but not enough to fire Hera. By successfully hoping Sean's cat that almost killed and ate her before doesn't try to do so again, Arietti one last time endangers them all to say goodbye to him. Chastely, but still more action than Sean was likely expecting this summer at his grandma's. Sean, who's suddenly the narrator, even though he'd been with Arietti the whole movie, tells us in voiceover that he never saw her again, although maybe he's dead, and telling us this is a ghost. The end. <sighs> Hate you, people. Oh, yeah, we should apologize. So there were some technical issues that Kelly Wan was unable to concentrate during while we were resolving them. So, uh, Kelly Wan, I would suggest uh, you could, like, practice that in the mirror, just like concentration. Uh, just learn to ignore things around you, maybe. What? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so apologies there if we threw you off your game, Kelly Wan. That was a grand synopsis. Um, I don't care. <clears throat> now... Dingus uh, brought was accompanied by a small child when he went to this movie. One of the things I'm curious about before we get into it, Dingus, how does this movie work for a small child? Uh, I, I was actually accompanied, accompanied by three small children and mm. two other adults. So I'm not as interested about the adults, but how did the children, because I, I feel it's, uh, we'll talk a bit more about the specifics, but I feel it's different from your typical, of course, Disney animated movie. Uh, how did the three small children react to it? They loved it. Uh, we're talking about an eight-year-old, a seven-year-old, and I think a five-year-old, and they were all right there. 
were they like restless during parts of it? Did it keep their attention? Uh, did they respond like enthusiastically to Spiller? Like what kind of things were they talking about afterwards? Um, they loved the whole thing. They thought that the cricket leg was very funny. Um, huh. <laughs> that's interesting. They thought the crow was very funny as well, but they, you know, I, they were sitting down the row from me because of the way we all were sitting and I was watching them the whole time and they were pretty much wrapped. Mm-hmm. And I was very pleased with that because I, given the other movies I've seen with them, they, uh, they stayed with this the whole time, and and it's not like this is a roller coaster ride. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and that's one reason that I I wonder what children would think of it. I, I think we don't maybe don't give enough credit to children and assume that they only like things like Phantom Menace. Right. Uh, by the way, there, there's another Star Wars reference. Nice that. Thank they you. like Phantom Menace. Kids don't know any better. Sure. Yeah. Uh, see. Now, Kelly Wand, you were not accompanied by a small child, but you sometimes, I think, can tap into the, a small child's perspective on the world. What did you think of <laughs> Secrets of Ariete? Just so I'm clear on something you just said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And another Star Wars reference this works in. George Lucas kept, made Phantom Menace because he goes, look, it's for kids. But right. he's, So his target audience is people who, as you put it, uh, have no discrimination. How'd you put it? Uh, that that works. Yeah, the, the child's power of discrimination. Right. The, the powers of discrimination aren't fully developed in children. So he goes, "Look, I've made the perfect movie for young brains that haven't dis- know nothing about like what good versus bad is filmmaking, and right. only for them." But it didn't really come into its own until he did it in 3D. Oh, did you see it? No, because I'm it? not a child. Uh, I, I have developed the powers of discrimination in my 40-odd years in this planet. I'm so a grown video game reviewer. <laughs> totally different. Gotcha. You did. Well, uh, well done. I read four of the books. Sick so burn, bro. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> uh, so there there are – I did not realize there are multiple books. Yeah, Kelly Wand, as our source material expert, uh, how did it stack up? Go ahead. So you read four of the books you were saying? Well, I brought a lot of baggage. Yeah, it ended with them in a balloon. It's far as far as a field. Borrowers of Float, they're on a tea kettle, Borrowers of Loft. And then the last one's called The Borrowers Avenged, which makes it sound like one of them dies, but I don't think they die. But that came out like 86, like way after. Because I read these when I was like seven. Mm-hmm. So Ariadne was my first crush, so I, did, I brought a lot of baggage. And then it was uh, Annika, Pippi Longstocking's little friend. Oh, I thought you meant the guy in Star Wars. <sighs> but Spiller... Yeah. Was your second crush? Yeah, but that's when I w- that's when Shogun was on. I guess. Well, you know, I I have to say I'm a little dis- not not disappointed, but uh, I kind of wished I didn't know there were more books because one of the things I did appreciate about the movie was the lack of resolution on on several fronts. I kind of liked that, and now to know that oh, it's a series and they're going to go float around in a balloon and what's the other one? go to the moon? You said what, what whatever the other one is. No, that'd be impossible. <laughs> oh, good. I'm thinking of Tintin. Uh, I sort of feel like, oh, this is an ongoing thing, and this is just the first chapter. I, I liked where it ended. I liked its lack of resolution in, in the movie, uh, but that's apparently not the case with the books. I uh, was a little bummed and annoyed by their treatment of Pod, because he's supposed to be the most badass borrower, and he's barely in the movie. Uh, I also want to say, man, as much as I love Will Arnett, I did not like hearing his voice coming out of Pod's mouth. Uh, it, was that distracting to you guys? That wasn't distracting to you guys? 
It wasn't as distracting to me as like Pod's a guy, because he's like a fat dude in a bowler hat in the books, and so instead <laughs> it's Will Arnett looking like uh, Richard Keel. Kinda. I thought he had like a Liam Neeson-y kind of like really just grave, stern look to him, and then it's it's Job from Arrested Development. Like that was that was weird for me. Dingus, did that? I know you are a frequent vocal critic of celebrity voice casting. Uh, Will Arnett didn't bother you. You were okay with that. Um. It didn't bother me until afterward when I found out if I had lived in the UK, I could have heard Mark Strong doing it. And you know who was Arietti in the UK? Yeah, don't, don't do that to me. Kelly Brook. Saoirse Ronan. Oh, that's a good yeah. choice. She's Instead, we get all kids from Waverly Place, which, you know, you know, it's Disney just saying, hey, we're just going to throw all of our Disney actors in there. I didn't Kelly know who Waller was on. But the... The problem with the the with uh, both Pod and um, Spiller is that the two women sitting next to me, who I had come to the movie with, were giggling the whole time because they thought it was hilarious that the men just grunted. Hmm. They don't. They think it's hilarious in bed too, from what yep. I understand. <laughs> yeah, I think so we the, do. The She's correct response to that is that you think it's hilarious that the women just chatter. Yeah. <laughs> and then you just go. Uh. The problem is that the impression Kelly Wan just did is also the impression he does of me. The girl one or the guy one? It doesn't matter. <laughs> That's my impression I, of you? Yep. Hmm. I've got your number. See? Well, speaking of having numbers, let's lay some cards on the table. Uh, who liked it, who didn't like it, and who is going to be the Lou Dobbs of the podcast? So, Kelly Wan, you read the books uh, the movie did or did not live up to your expectations. You have some childhood baggage you brought to it. How did the movie live up to your expectations and your baggage? Uh, it's fine. Okay. I mean, I'm glad it exists, and some things I'm not glad they exist anyway. But this is not one of them. Um, the kids liked it, and uh, there was a preview for Snow White before it. Um. And there's a line in the in the trailer where a dwarf goes, they're trying to break down a door for 10 seconds, and then one of them goes, I got a spare key. And then he raises a key, and then one of the dwarfs punches him in the face. And then this black dude sitting a few seats down from him went, that was unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> he just could have said, I have a spare. Does that answer your question about how the movie works? <laughs> that answers my question, how the mind of Kelly Wand works, which is far more interesting, I think. Uh, <laughs> Pod was all wrong, but I liked Ariadne, and I liked uh, that it just sort of... I don't know. There was enough about borrower lifestyles. It was all sort of rushed. I would rather see a borrower's TV series. It did feel uh, a bit slight, and I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. Like, you used the word rushed, and I I actually thought it was kind of, like, slow at times, but it did feel slight. Like, there was a lot of stuff I wanted to... Like, they, they mentioned the other two families being gone that's kind of a huge deal because one of the things i like is the movie does have this sense of of loneliness uh and being the last in the world and they don't explore that that much and so i i I think i agree with what you're getting at there kelly wand um i would have liked more about like their life who they are uh i love seeing them in action um and the books provide those beats like they tell you what happened to the other ones and how they met their ends and cats eat them on site, obviously. So it's like the movie's playing sort of fast and loose with the facts of borrowing. <laughs> You're saying the ecology is not realistic. The, I'm saying it's a piffle. It's a nice piffle. Like kids, like I go see it, but the borrowers could have been, and maybe, maybe if this movie's a huge hit, which it probably won't be, uh, 
like a long series of borrowers films. All right. All right. So, uh, Dingus, how did you feel about it? I loved it. I, I, I also love what Kelly Wan just said about, because I did long for more about the borrowers lives. And when the way he said it, I don't know how Kelly Wan just said it, but it made me think of like watching drive, uh, but from the, like the borrowers version of drive, uh, I would, I would have liked to have lived sort of in their world a little bit more. And in fact, the, the moment where I realized, and I, I didn't know going in who Arietti was going to be, if it was going to be some human child who, whose secret world was seeing these little people or what. But the moment I realized that, oh, we're going to be with her in her world, I was so excited. And my favorite moments are realizing her world. Uh, so I, I, I loved it. And, you know, the moment that I loved from my audience was, was late in the game when somebody, when somebody in the movie calls them robbers. And this little kid in the theater goes, they're not robbers. <laughs> and they're, I hope, ah, see, <laughs> Occupats in action. So kids love the redistribution of wealth. Yeah. Thanks, Miyazaki. <laughs> so, so I loved it. I thought it was beautiful. The production design and the sound just totally won me over. And there, there are a couple of moments in there that that would make me want to own it or see it again. I really, really loved it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, read the books with your kid because you get into like what they borrow and what they use it for, and it's like a lot of detailed lifestyle stuff. Like, oh, for this button, we can use as a Tureen or a sieve. Oh, yeah, I forget what I'm talking about. But yeah. <laughs> I think you could do that with a button. Not a tureen, but it certainly would work as a sieve. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I like that because I, I found myself wondering, how do, where did that table come from? Did he make the table? I mean, where where's this come from? Where does that come from? And I, I, I loved all the little touches, uh, you know, in his the father's workshop. Just the father's workshop uh, where you see the nail clipper over there and he's doing soldering and all of that. Ah, man, I freaking love that stuff and they're, they're more idiosyncratic in the book because they're british so they're less like tropes i don't know you get a lot there's a lot of good dialogue and then there's a spiller character spoiler alert well where do you stand tom uh i no, i well it uh i, I agree with both of you I, I loved the little world i would have liked to have seen more of that because we didn't because i think it took its time a little bit more and i'm okay with that uh it was kind of slow uh ultimately though i felt it was trying a little bit hard maybe because it's aimed at kids to be a heartstring tugger uh it's a little simple and slight um but it is gorgeous i did love the sound i love the elements that it has in common with my neighbor totoro uh which i think is just unparalleled as far as the studio ghibli Ghibli, Ghibli, I don't know how you say it. As far as that studio's movies, like I think that right there is just the, the greatest thing that they've done. So anytime I'm watching something that I think, oh, that looks a lot like something from Totoro, uh, I just I, I fall in love with that. So I, I like, like for instance, what they did with the cat. Uh, that was great. The cat became a big, fat, helpful Totoro uh, instead of just the the mean villainous cat. Uh, I I really liked Ariadne as a character. I you know I, I loved her as this heroine and and this sort of uh the the way that the borrowers were kind of i don't know that like i i don't know kelly you say it's british but i can't help but wonder like is is are they partly influenced by this idea of like gypsy culture uh like I, or, or is it like fairy folklore like i don't know where that comes from 
Um, but I What's, really liked seeing it presented because that's not something that I you, you said they're tropes, but I just felt like this idea of this this family, the last family on earth, having to move around from place to place to to remain hidden uh, isn't something that we really see. It's not like a typical fantasy trope. Uh, so I loved that about it. Um, yeah, and there's no they're just moving on to new perils too. Like they're always going to be. Well, there's a yeah other house. There's a shot at the end where Spiller like looks up and sees a crow or something, or like like there's and the the movie's kind of aware of that. Like it 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 creates that you know when they when they that big old raccoon walks by them, uh, like there there is this sense, like I said, of, of no resolution. The uh, the kid going in for his surgery and whatnot. Like I I liked how it you know even the borrowers lived in this dangerous world. Like you say, a sense of peril. Um, but it all works out. Everything's fine. I don't think they take any losses in the books, <laughs> which is why the title of the fifth book puzzles me. Yeah, what what do they have to avenge? Is it just like humanity at, at large? or if, They're not pissed off very often. I don't know. Yeah. What, now I have to read it and let you know. All right. Before the Get back to it. Uh, uh, and I really, it was hard hearing Will Arnett, but it's not nearly as bad as uh, the worst case scenario of celebrity voice casting in another Studio Ghibli movie. There's one called uh, Kiki's News Delivery Service. No, Kiki's News Service. Kiki's and something about news. Uh, but anyway, she's got a really cool black cat. But for whatever reason, they had Phil Hartman do the voice for it. And he's just doing his just sounds like something from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> it's really awful. I mean, Phil Hartman being this cool black cat. In uh, Kiki's news service, so it wasn't nearly that bad, but uh, it's too bad we didn't get Mark Strong. Yeah, or the Japanese. You know what? I yeah, I would have much rather watched this in Japanese with, with uh, subtitles. Um, yeah. Oh, and also like Totoro. Like Totoro has a lot of these undertones of of death underneath it. Uh, that's kind of easy to miss. It doesn't like hit you very hard with this. But when when the little girl's mother goes in the hospital, there's this scene where where the younger daughter thinks that she's died, uh, and that's like a really scary thing. Um, and I, I like how this sort of touched on that too with the kid. You know, going into this potentially fatal surgery, and uh, uh, so so I liked that. I liked I liked how kind of downbeat it was. Um, I love the bit of energy that Spiller brought, like when he's demonstrating his bow. You know, it's the men grunting, I guess. Uh, but I really liked how uh, what a change up that was when he showed up. I, I quite liked that character, seeing him fly around. Yeah. I was a little unclear on their dynamic, though. Like, does he come by often, and uh, do they like him? Are they well, trying to set him up? With their... Well, obviously, I mean, handing is... Kelly Wan, what is that? What is a hand? If you hand a girl a raspberry, what is that a metaphor for? Uh, an airplane. <laughs> but sometimes a raspberry is just a raspberry. So. Thank you, Kelly Wan. Is a raspberry is a raspberry? <laughs> uh, what was the question? Uh, yeah, so I don't know their dynamic, but again, I, I like that that wasn't spelled out. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Like, was was ah good? See. Was was Speller or Spiller uh, uh, bringing them to another society? Like, were there others? He said there? he was alone though. Yeah, yeah. But they still don't have him over because he's guy. too feral or something. <laughs> but it's like they're the ones that got discovered, so now he has to move too. Hey, guy who's alone. Guess what? We all have to leave now, including you, because of this crow issue. <laughs> uh, Kelly Wan, which other studio have you seen? My neighbor Totoro. 
Yeah, it's been a while. But there's supposed to be a Totoro callback in this movie that I f- couldn't find. Well, the big cat. The, the, when the cat, when the, when she touches like the cat's nose, that's that's like a, that's a scene that's straight out of My Neighbor Totoro. Hmm. See, I thought it was like uh, like an ET where you see all the different where he hides in the closet and all the different. Things. Oh, like there's a Totoro toy on it's screen. Totoro toys. I see. Right, right. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, there are Totoros in uh, in Toy Story, I think. Because it's Disney now, so they can do that. Yeah. Tote story. Mm, no, that doesn't work. Sorry. <laughs> hey, Dingus, were the kids you saw this with boys or girls or mix or co-ed? No, they were all bo- they were all boys, and they all loved it. And I was so I was so happy when the cat when we had the cat truce because at the beginning I was just like, oh, really? Does the cat always have to be the bad guy? Always. He's he's still the glutton. They're like, oh, I'm fat and full. That's why I'm not eating you. Like he's if he that, starved, he would go. No truce. That funny little uh, stunted tail. Yeah, what's up with that? I, 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 for, for a minute, I was like, is that a cat? Is this some like kind Tom's of like? Cat. My cat has a full tail. He just can't move it. This guy had like like I didn't know if it was maybe a wallaby or something that they have in Japan <laughs> or I didn't know what that was. What's this uh, got to do with shoes? What? <laughs> Oh, I, I see. Very good, Kelly Wong. Ha ha ha! Rango <laughs> ate my baby. But I loved the nonverbal moments too, like when the cat finally, like when she kind of—I don't know if she charms it—but when the cat just looks at her and kind of closes his eyes. That the, the cat truce that you're calling it, Dingus. Uh, I loved how nonverbal uh, some of that stuff was, and just the animation. Good lord, what a gorgeous movie! You know, Dingus, you talk about things that would make you want to own it. This is like this is a movie made to have on Blu-ray. It's mm-hmm. just one of those kind of things. Uh, Dingus, what what scenes were you thinking of when you say it's something that you might want to own? Uh, you know, there are a couple of moments where I heard my wife just gasp next to me, um, like when Sean is lying out in the field and the sun is just shining down through the clouds, and and then there's some sh- some shadows on either side of him, and the cat approaches him. It's just breathtakingly beautiful there. Uh, but, but what I'm thinking of is the production design. There's this long shot when Pod and Arietti first go on her first borrowing, where he, where they're walking on those nails. It's a long shot of, of them walking across those nails together, stride for stride, and that's just so gorgeous. Or, or his, his office, as I, or not his office, his, his little work, his little workroom with, with the nail clippers sitting there. Uh, I was just so taken with, with all of those little beautiful little moments uh, to say nothing of again the sound design which yeah. I wanted to find out if Gary Rydstrom had uh, just done the um, the English dub which apparently he did or or whether he re-engineered the whole sound structure but but apparently this this is kind of what happens with with uh, with guys who are working in that structure is that they they'll do one of these movies and then this is kind of a stepping stone to be able to do maybe a feature film in the future um so i don't think that he necessarily had anything to do with the sound design of this it's just beautiful sound design and and like that moment where she first goes into the kitchen and she's hearing all those sounds that i'm imagining she's heard all her life and now she's finally matching them right yeah to real life things. I, I was just so taken with that moment. 
Well, and even there's a moment, I think, when he rescues her from the crow, when she's wrapped up in his hand, where the sound muffles. Mm. Uh, like, mm. they do great. There's a couple yeah. of great tricks like that, and certainly the sound of the rain. Um, yeah, and, and now you guys, I if you guys hate me for what I'm about to say, I will fully accept this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm going to brave your scorn and say there were times I was watching this movie thinking, I wish this was in 3D. Ugh. <laughs> Go enjoy Battleship, noob. <laughs> Jesus. But because of the way it played with scale and the way it showed us, like some of the spaces they were moving through, certainly more than anything I had to sit through in Hugo, I was thinking, wow, this could they could really play with 3D in this. There's a great sequence. There's a great 3D moment in How to Train Your Dragon where you see the little dragon next to a big dragon and what 3D does to that, you know, the the – the difference in size between them and one bearing down on the other. Just, I remember how, how the 3D really added to a couple of shots like that and how to train your dragon. So in Secret World of Arietti, I, there were times I was thinking, I think that might actually work in 3D. Uh, well, it's hand-drawn, too, right? So that would be a different, like, there's never been a hand-drawn 3D, just CG, 3D. Uh, Phantom, Phantom, Phantom Menace? Is there hand-drawing in that? The script was hand-drawn. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell too. He traced his hand and went, "All right, episode one's done." <laughs> My kids like it, so fuck you, <laughs> ticket buyers. <laughs> uh, has either of you seen uh, pa- Ponyo? The last yeah, movie? is that is that good? Not really. I can't remember it? Oh, I think I fell uh, asleep during it, but I can't be trusted. Dingus, you said you loved, was it Princess Mononoke or Swept Away? Or wait, off, wait what's Spirited the, Away. Spirited Away. That, yeah, not the one with Madonna. Uh, so you love Spirited Away, right? Right. Yes, I do. Uh, very different, of course. I like yeah. Spirited Away. She's a very whiny character, though, compared to Arietti. You just get shit done, yo. Well, you know what? Maybe I haven't seen Spirited Away. Maybe I've seen, maybe I'm confusing Princess Mononoke. Spirited Away, like, uh, does it have like crazy character? It's gonna yeah. be very vague. It's like a bathhouse, and there's like a swamp dude. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's crazy, like evil queen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have seen that. That that and movie. House of Castle is good too. I'm sorry. Yeah, I have heard good things about that. And Nausicaa, Valley of the Wind. I've heard I should see that one. You know what? I'm I'm way behind on both my Hitchcock and my Studio Ghibli, so I need to work on those. Um, Euphemisms. <laughs> Uh, all right, so did this remind you guys of any other movies? Dingus, is there anything that uh, it brought to mind for you? Yes, it brought to mind Rafifi for me. Because they crawl through holes in the floor? No, um, there's that moment where they're stealing the tissue, and uh, she catch she realizes he's seen her, and she ducks behind it, and she looks at her father, and she just nods at him. It's this moment of silence where they're on a heist and they already have <laughs> this silent communication between each other that that I just was I loved that little moment. And then later when he says, I, I'm so proud of you that uh, a lesser borrower would have panicked and run away. Right. Um, I love so, how she's on a heist there. You know? So also kind of like phase seven with the silent communication and this, right. the hand signals and whatnot. <laughs> Well done, yes. Uh, Kelly Wan, did it remind you of any other movies? Is that really communication? 
<laughs> uh, yes, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> it reminded me of Gandhi because they were hungry a lot. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees, and I'm caught in between, counting one, two, three, feet upon every I was just testing the waters. <laughs> that makes they're sense. Fine. That's a valid comparison, Kelly Wand. Yeah. Let's do a three by three. How do you guys feel about that? Uh. Do we have I to? I apologize for this one. I. You know what? I. I don't like this. I one hated anymore. you. I. I hated me too, Kelly Wand. You because and me both. Get in line. It's like. Go ahead, because. Well, because a bad performance is very like it, it could be a bad casting decision. Um. You know, I, I believe me, I, I feel your pain. I experienced it as well, thinking that I had a really clever topic and then agonizing all week over what have I just done? So let me let me explain to the <laughs> listeners what we have here. What I want for this three by three, you must concede that the movie you're picking is a great movie and that the actor you're singling out is a great actor. But it must be a bad performance. Ugh. It's I like know. three topics in one. <laughs> uh, well, but they all three have to come together, though. They must all three, the stars must align correctly. So I think I'm okay with things I came up with. There were a lot of, like, runners-up where maybe the movie wasn't quite great enough or maybe the actor wasn't great. So I don't know how you guys feel about this. I'm not real happy with my picks. I have a lot of things that were close to being eligible, but we'll see what happens. So, Kelly Wand, because you were introducing next week's 3 by 3 you start us off. Uh, so it sounds like you had a tough time with this as well. What did you come to for your number three pick? Uh, it was this one's kind of lame. My number two is kind of lame, but then my number one is the one that we'll remember. <laughs> <laughs> this one we won't remember. It was a uh, uh, great movie. Uh, it's uh, Edward G. Robinson as the Pharaoh in Ten Commandments. <laughs> But, I mean, it's just I'm picking period pieces who just had, like, the wrong kind of actor for the part. So I don't know if that's a bad performance. You know what? It, it's the thing. is Bad performance is really subjective. So I like your pick, even though I have no idea what you're, the heck you're talking about, because never, I've never seen that movie. Who's seen that movie? Where's uh, your Messiah now, see? Talks like that. Uh, you know, when you say that, it makes me think of, like, Harvey Keitel in Last yeah. of Christ. Exactly. Really? <laughs> I'm that good an actor? <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate that. Well, but they did a whole thing where the I think in Last Temptation where the Judeans were all like Bronx, like that was how you you uh, that was the Jews. That's how you recognize the Jews in Last Temptation of Christ. They had a Bronx accent. <laughs> so uh, they took the subway to Jerusalem. <laughs> uh, so Ten Commandments, Dingus. Have you Too seen soon. Ten Commandments? Nobody's seen that movie, right? Am I, back me up on this, Dingus. Uh, no, nobody's seen that movie. Uh, you, have you seen it? No. You haven't? No, I'm busy watching Ben-Hur all the time. Eh, that one's too long. I've never seen that either. Here, here you go. I have never seen Edward G. Robinson in a movie. If, if he were to come up to me on the street, I wouldn't know He's him from in, Adam. Uh, no, that's bullshit. You've seen Soylent Green, I bet. Mm, a long, long time ago. That's uh -huh. Ernest Borgnine and Charlton Heston, right? Ernest Borgnine. Um, Ned Beatty. Who is his sidekick in, in Soylent Green? Uh, Charles Durning. Yeah. Who is it? Is it Charles Durning, really? I think it Dom DeLuise is always his sidekick. Oh, wait, I'm thinking of somebody else. So you don't know, it sounds like. So I, I know it's Charlton Heston and someone who's kind of like Ernest Borgnine. I don't remember. So, but that's Jack right. I, um, Ruth uh, Buzzy, Marty Feldman. 
I don't know. But uh, yes, I do remember actually now that Edward, Edward G. Robinson is in that, and I don't, I can't picture him. I couldn't even tell you what part he plays in the movie. So, all right. So, Ten Commandments, Port Edward G. Robinson, Kelly Wand. I like your picks so far. You're doing a heck of a job. Dingus, how did you, how did you feel about this uh, this category or this uh, three by three? I was so mad at you. <laughs> all right. So, uh, are you happy with what you came up with, though? Yeah, basically, I am. I, I'm. Uh, I went in um, ascending order. Of what I think are are uh, great movies. So the number. So rather than going with uh, descending performances, it's ascending movies. Okay. All right. So what's your number three pick? This is the least great of your three movies. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Okay. Maybe you got a line for us. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. Is the line spoken by the bad actor? Yes, it is. Awesome. Tell you one. You ready for this? Here we go. No, he's a great actor. Mm-hmm. It's a bad performance, Tom. Oh, right, right, right. Good. Yes. All right. Here you go. Do you have the slightest idea what a moral and ethical principle is? Do you? Kelly Wan, do you have a guess? Uh, some deleted scene of Rushmore we fell asleep during. <laughs> uh, Dingus, I give up. I don't think I've seen it. Wait, that's what the stormtrooper said to the wall after he hit his head, I remember. But he was just, he had brain damage or a concussion or something. All right, Kelly, if I were to tell you that I agree with... Stephen King about this actor, what would you say? Uh, really? He's yep. great in that. I think I'm, I'm, with Dingus. I'm with Dingus, but I don't think it's a great movie at all. Yeah, it is. You're both crazy. I don't th- that's the that's kind of the problem, Tom. I, I don't think it's a great movie, but it's widely accepted as one. Right. So tell us what we're what you're talking about, Dingus, so the list It's fine. Alright, I'm talking about the shining. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm talking about Jack Nicholson, and I think he's totally wrong for this. And I don't even like the performance. And I and I really and I love Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest right before this. Well, not wow, right before he went, this. But, he went from okay. Uh, well, that's that was Stephen King's problem is that he he had just played a, a madman in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest very well, by the way. That's a, it's a great performance. And then to cast him in The Shining ruins the film uh, ruins the uh ruins the story because the idea right. is that this is supposed to be a normal guy who is driven mad and instead the audience takes the baggage from one flip of the cuckoo's nest and goes oh it's a crazy guy great um and and in addition to that i i just don't like his performance in this i think it's just crazy man and just look at the poster and you see crazy man so Words of wisdom, Lloyd. Words of wisdom. <laughs> ah, very good, Kelly Wand. See, <laughs> See Kelly Wand does lines for movies. Uh, you know, I, I haven't seen The Shining in maybe ten years, so I should probably watch it again. But I'm with Dingus. Like it just it, it wasn't. It had some creepy stuff, but it just felt like clunky and awkward. And uh, I I don't know. Wait, the little girls didn't scare you? No, that was creepy. Yeah, no, that that scared me. And certainly like their performance. They were good actors. Yeah, they've gone on to do some great work. Uh, but uh, yeah. Um. But you know what though? It is regarded as like a great horror film, so I think it's a valid pick. I mean, I think Jack Nicholson's performance is definitely problematic, not just for the reasons Dingus is talking about, but it's just like crazy scenery chewing. Uh, it's silly. And, and good Lord, uh, uh, Shelley Duvall is just like weird and freaky and what's Scott McCruthers doing and the little kid. You don't like his book? I like the picture on the wall in his hotel room. <laughs> uh, he has a picture of the maze on the wall, but he didn't absorb it apparently like Danny did. 
Great, Kelly. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so a uh, good pick, Ningus. My number three. Uh, I'll give you guys a line. Um, Stormtroopers travel single file. These guys didn't do that. Huh. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> I feel that Alec Guinness You're is a crazy. great actor. Hold on. I feel Alec Guinness is a great actor. I actually feel Star Wars is, of course, a great movie. Uh, but I think Alec Guinness, I think everyone in Star Wars, with one exception, is horrible. Uh, but Alec Guinness is just, he just seems bored. Uh, he's so completely unengaged. Um, he he seems just bemused. You know, he, he seems like somebody who's on, like, Mushrooms. When he's in the movie like this, here's here's my thing with Star Wars. I've said this before. I think the only good performance in Star Wars, everybody in that movie is pretty horrible. Uh, the only good performance in Star Wars is Peter Cushing, who has years of experience doing cheesy movies like this. And as I was thinking about this, thinking that, you know what, Alec Guinness, even, you know, he even he is bad in Star Wars. Let me float this idea and see what you guys think of this. I would like to switch roles between Peter Cushing and Alec Guinness just have Alec Guinness be this sort of vague British officer type guy and let Peter Cushing be Obi-Wan Kenobi so that when they talk about this crazy old wizard, when he shows up, he's got this kind of scary intensity about him. I And that only occurred to me thinking, oh, only Peter Cushing is good. Alec Guinness's performance is bad. Hey, you should switch them. So I really feel Peter Cushing should have been Obi-Wan Kenobi and that Alec Guinness is bad. So there you go. No, no, no one's going to disagree. Uh, wait, you like, liked his non-faked physical gesture. <laughs> he was great. He was great doing it. Now, little, yeah. But I don't think I don't think he's good in that. Uh, but you're that's saying not, that's not a controversial thing to say. Like I think I think that's something that's been observed many times. Is that Alec Guinness obviously had a little contempt for the silliness of Star Wars. Um, well, now we all do, don't we? So he was right all along, wasn't he? There's no, there's no harm, and I like plenty of silly movies. If he'd known what was coming, he really would have. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, what? What's happening to my character here? What am I doing? That guy's me now? Hmm, interesting. Wait, I can lightsaber like that over the lava, but in this, okay, whatever. <laughs> I'm just so happy that Tom is admitting that Star Wars is a great movie. Uh-huh. I've never denied that. What are you talking about? Everybody, I grew up with that. I, come on. And it is. It's, it's great fantasy pulp. Everybody knows that. All right, but the last thing you're on record is saying is, a, is some sort of a, a bad word in front of the word Star Wars. And to hear you say great Star Wars is much, uh, I don't know, it just, it bucks me up. Okay, well, the expression, uh, fuck Star Wars. Oh, and I'm Tom. Just, I'm just quoting that. I'm not saying the word. Uh, it just has to do with how it's been used. Uh, what people have done with it since the movie came out. You know, I love Empire Strikes Back. I think great things were done, but but everything thereafter, like most of the the licensing stuff and all the cartoons and the because Gary Kurtz left, Lucas surrounded himself by fucking yes men douchebags. Yep. Exactly, Kelly Wand. So that's what saying f Star Wars means. But I, I love the movie. Like I I still think I just wish that Peter Cushing had played Obi Wan Kenobi. That so does that seem? Are you guys okay with that? Can I? Can we do that? I have to see that switch because I I so love that Ewan McGregor comes along and eventually does his voice. And that's the only thing that's redeemable about that other movie for me. (laughs) And I can't imagine Ewan McGregor doing Peter Cushing's voice. Oh, of course he could. Come on. Well, maybe not. Uh, No, I think someone else. You get get James Marsden. 
Yeah, or Shanning Tatum. <laughs> I almost picked uh, Harrison Ford because just that easy, call that easy. He just seems so, like, I'm so he's, high, I'm just going to say whatever. Right. So under those circumstances, his acting's great because he's he's gimped and he's still that good. So he's a genius. All right. Well, Kelly Wan, what is your number two choice then for great movie, great actor, bad performance? Uh, sometimes bad performances help the movie too, or bad actors help the movie. But that's not what you asked for. Well, you know what? It, it's tricky because sometimes, like, if a performance is bad enough, it can scuttle the movie, and it's no longer a great movie. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, this is very tricky. I understand this. This was a, a veritable Rubik's cube of a three by three. So I don't know what that is, nerd. But um, uh, C, let the right one in. Explains it all. I only saw Let Me In because I watched real movies made in America. Uh, but I remember watching Speed and going, Keanu Reeves, Reeves' badness is totally making this movie awesomer. Like he's exactly because sure. he's like a dumbass, but he keeps beat, he keeps winning. So it's like the lucky dumbass Forrest Gump kind of thing. Yeah, that works. Uh, Great, but, Kelly. Getting back to the topic, though. Uh, so, what points. is your pick, number two? Uh, what do you got for us? Jack Black, King Kong, the end. So you were admitting that King Kong, you were conceding that King Kong is a great movie and that Jack Black is a great actor? Uh, it's a great movie, I think. <laughs> I you love King Kong. You don't have to convince me, but I'm not sure I'd go with Jack Black. Well, you know what? Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. I cut you off. Nah, he's just, I think it's a miscast, and this is why it's a bad choice. I just Because he just doesn't evoke the 1920s. And everyone else kind of does in a half-ass kind of way. He just seems the least 20s-ish. What, Kelly Wand, is Jack Black's greatest performance? As a great actor, what would you single out as his greatest performance? When he kills the bugs in King Kong. Epic, bro. And also, he was good as Gimli in the third one. Uh, I think poor Jack Black, based on playing a game called Brutal Legend, I think he does a great job in that with the voice work and the script. But I think if you really want to see Jack Black kind of acting, I really like him in Margot at the Wedding. Uh, Noah Baumbach movie where he and Jennifer Jason Leigh are, are getting married. See? Uh, uh, he does some good stuff in that that is not tip- – there are some typical Jack Blackisms, uh, but he does some really good stuff in that. I haven't seen that one. Right. He doesn't sound, but he, but so you're admitting he's a great actor because he was good in a movie. Uh, I wouldn't say a great actor. I think he's really good at what he does. Uh, you know, everybody remembers him from High Fidelity, even before High Fidelity. Like I remember him as a little tiny, little tiny part in a movie called Bob Roberts, uh, which is this political mockumentary. Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins. Yeah. And he plays this, uh, I mean, he's, it's now we just think of it as a typical Jack Black thing, but he plays this really scary, freaky, like young Republican type guy. Um, I remember him selling guns to Richard Gere in Day of the Jackal. Is that the name of that movie? The Jackal? What's the Richard Gere? The Jackal, yeah. Uh, So I don't know about great actor, but I think he's good at what he does. And I, for the most part, am not as annoyed by him as some other people might usually be. But then again, I didn't see Gulliver's Travels, so who knows? (laughs) All right. But I love Kelly Wan that you're admitting that King Kong is a great movie. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. I think it gets a bad rap. I agree. Yes. Um, but we, uh, Nate versus three Tyrannosauruses is good. That's you know good. what? Yeah, that's awesome. That's just yeah, just saying that makes me want to watch King Kong again. Of course, it's yeah. a great fight. I understand why people don't like it. <laughs> it's, there's a lot of tactics involved because he has to keep <laughs> catching her too, and his fucking spider webs nightmare. Yeah. Uh, all right, Dingus. What is your number two choice? 
Great actor, great movie, bad performance. All right, here here's a quote from this movie. All right. Everyone. I, you know what? I need to see it again. I'm not sure I'd call it a great uh, movie, but good. And, and you, know, you got it from that. Unbelievable. You know what he's talking about. Well, he didn't do it the right way, but yeah, come on. I think a lot of people got that. You guys need to get a room. <laughs> <laughs> come on, Kelly Wad. Imagine, imagine Dingus screaming it until he's run out of breath and his voice has turned and his face has turned red. Now what movie is it? Is it the happening when Mark Wahlberg goes, who have you lost contact with? And the guy goes, everyone. But you're saying, what if I asked you, how many cops do you want me to bring? Wait, no, what is it? Something like that. What if you tell me to bring a bunch of cops and I say, how many cops do you want me to bring? No, I think I'm screwing up the dialogue. Wait, wait, I like that version. Everyone. What do you mean everyone? Everyone. Right. Did that get it for you, Kelly Wand? Is it Batman? Close. Yeah, the right actor. Bat- yeah, it's Batman-esque. Wait, it's another Jack Nicholson, isn't it? It's a Gary Oldman who's so spotty. Like, man, I think he's a great actor, but he's been in some awful stuff. So Gary Oldman yelling, everyone! Come on, do you ha- he's just he's just done Amyl Nitrate, I think. Uh, crank. <laughs> now you're just going to name drug movies. I don't know. <laughs> the Professional. It's Dingus's category. Dingus, what is it? It is Leon the Professional. Uh, which, which I think is a great uh, movie about an assassin. Uh, I think it's widely accepted as as a uh, as as a great movie in that genre. And I think that, unfortunately, uh, as far as I'm concerned, Gary Oldman's performance is basically considered iconic because of that line reading. <laughs> um, but I can't stand that performance, and I can't stand just the scenery chewing and the the popping of drugs, and I mean, I'm i willing to blame Luc Besson for that, because uh, Gary Oldman's just being free and crazy. And, and I think if you want to see a crazy, drugged-out performance, watch State of Grace, uh, because this one is just over-the-top and weird, and it just doesn't work for me. And and I like what you said, Tom. He's, he, he's spotty. He is a great actor. There's no doubt he's he's a great actor. And, and as the... Uh, as the Oscars went on, I wished that he would have won. Uh, I think he's a he is a great actor, but in this movie, I I just can't sign on for this performance. Yeah, and he's done. I mean, think of him in like uh, Fifth Element. Like, isn't yeah. he awful in that too? Like, no, he's fine. What you know, like him? Well, I guess Fifth Element is so wacky, so it yeah, kind of fits. Um, I like him in that. I'm surprised you went there immediately. Like, you know, Fifth I'd, Element. I just think of that costume that he wore with a little. That's clear. not his fault. He's good at that. He has that lisp. But he's like a. He's supposed to be a badass, but he talks with a lisp. You know what? No, of... you're making me hate him. No, you're making me not like him in Fifth Element. I'm going to stick to my guns on that. I don't think he's good in Fifth Element. I'm going to stick to that one. He bleeds black blood because the meteor's talking to him on the cell phone or something. That's kind of good, right? Well, I was I was listening to him talking on an old. It might have been a few weeks old uh, of fresh air and and being interviewed, and they played a clip of him from uh, True Romance, and the oh. stuff that he's doing is so weird and great. I mean, I love what he's doing there and and how he came up with it. He apparently grabbed some some guy who's on the street and said, "Say say these lines for me," and and, uh, and sort of listen to the way the guy talked, and and then if you listen, if you just listen to the performance, it's just a great. Man, is that Gary Oldman? So he can do some really cool stuff, um, but but the professional doesn't do it for him. Right. I heard in Hannibal he wasn't wearing makeup. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Okay. But if I could bring the house down. <laughs> oh, but he, and he also said that he, he wasn't sure what to do with Hannibal. Um, but but then he met with Thomas Harris and he goes, oh, I'll just do an impression of Thomas Harris. basically. Oh, that's how Thomas Harris talks? Apparently. Without lips. Yep. Uh, that's how Thomas Harris would get his head chewed by a wild boar. That's what I assumed. Great, Kelly. Thank you. Door's over there. No, stick around. You've got one more to do, Kelly. One, you can't go yet. All right, I'm going to give you guys a line for my number two pick. And again, I'm not sure. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, this is a tough one. Here you go. I'll give you a line. Ready? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you don't like this? He's good at that. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. No, no, here's the thing. I love Sling Blade. I loved it when I saw it. And I really think Billy Bob Thornton is a a great actor. All you need to do to realize that is watch Armageddon. But I I kind of feel that... (laughs) What is happening? I tried to say that. I tried to not laugh after saying that, and you screwed me up, Kelly Wand. Sure. So good, Billy Bob Thornton. I know. I was called trying to keep a straight face, and you ruined it. Thank you. <laughs> I learned from the master, Mr. Type Messages. Anyway, uh, I'm not convinced that Sling Blade isn't just like I, I don't. I kind of think it may not hold up. That it's just like this weird affectation that he's doing, and. I don't think it's it's kind of familiar now, but I don't think he really loses himself in that the way that like Dustin Hoffman does in Rain Man. Um, like I watch that and I think, yeah, he's it's just Billy Bob Thornton screwing his face up and doing a funny voice. So uh, even though I love the movie and I really liked the performance, I, in a weird way, I think it doesn't hold up. He likes French fried potatoes. Can you do that line in the voice, Kelly Wand? I'm going to get me some French fried potatoes. Mm-hmm. Kelly Wan. Beady, beady, beady. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wan, from whom does he get the French fried potatoes? Uh, McDonald's? Jim Jarmusch. Oh, same thing. Whatever. So it, it, am I just out of left field? Is this just like crazy to say that? What? What I was saying about Billy Bob Thornton, that it just is kind of an app. Well, we didn't, he can't, that, that was his first movie that we saw him in. So we, so when we would go, oh, he, his face doesn't look like that, we went, oh, he's a great actor. Right, he right. Used his face around. But seeing him, yeah, well, I don't know. And actually, he was in something he was really good before Sling Blade called One False Move. Oh, that's so. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's great in that. So I, I totally knew who he was seeing it, but I, he wrote that. Ah, that's right, Dingus. Yep, yep. Um, you know, um, I like that choice, Tom, uh, but I would disagree on your Rain Man points going the other way because Rain Man was actually one of my runners up um, because I've, I've always felt that Tom Cruise is the better performance in that and that Dustin Hoffman's just doing a trick. And I, I think that Sling Blade has a little more weight to it, but it's basically the same thing. I mean, it's a it's a short Billy Bob Thornton developed, and then he right. lengthened it into a movie. And I think it doesn't sustain that. I think that interview that he does with the girl is pretty much everything you you should get from it. I, right. I like his relationship with the kid, but but I think you're spot on actually. And I, maybe I should see Rain Man again because I just remember really liking Dustin Hoffman in that, but I haven't seen it in a while. You don't. You, well, okay, so that would be a runner-up, Rain Man. Then. Well, okay. I like I like Dustin Hoffman in it, but I think that Tom Cruise has the the tougher part. Right. And uh, and I think that really once you find the the trick that you're doing, then what you're doing is a trick. Right. Right. Mm. 
Who's the girlfriend? I have Valeria Galeno. Thank yeah. you. You guys, you guys know who the kid is in Sling Blade, by the way? It's easy to forget this. Lucas Holly Black? G. Panson, yeah. So Lucas Black going on before he did G. Panson in uh, Legion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Poor Lucas Black. What's your favorite line from that movie, Tom? It's not your favorite line. I, I, I have other favorite lines. I can't remember them now, but uh, why don't you do a rendition of Lucas Black from Legion, Take It Away, Dingus. Mm-hmm. No shark teeth, Bob. <laughs> Was that Billy Bob Thornton doing Lucas Black? No, that's the way he sounded. <laughs> Did he win tonight? Lucas Black for yeah. Legion? Yes, yeah. Best Supporting Actor. Uh, oh, there was a lot of controversy. They wanted him in Best Actor. Because uh, I know but... Priest got snubbed, but I was hoping Legion. <laughs> Poor Paul Bettany, yeah. Kelly Wan, what is your number one choice for great movie, great actor, bad performance? Uh, I'll do a line from it. Sweet. We don't get this from you that often. Rock and nah. roll. Oh, oh it sure is far down. Catherine Hepburn in something. What? That's a man's voice, you fucking oh. sexist. Uh, it sure is far down. Oh, uh, Fred Astaire and Tyron Inferno. Fred Astaire's in that? Yep. Hmm. Does he get Pardon? burned? I think he's one of them who lives. And I, I think it's Fred Astaire. Some some old-timey movie actor like Edward G. Robinson is in Tyron Inferno. I think it's Fred Astaire. Hmm. Uh, so no, but that's not the line you were doing. So oh. Dingus, over to you. What's your guess? I'm going to need him to do it again, but with the proper accent. Uh, okay. <clears throat> oh, I'm up high. It's crazy. What? That could be a line from Margot at the wedding. Uh, you and your wedding. Uh, no. So Jimmy Stewart, Vertigo. I don't, oh, I don't you don't. Like the, nah. Well, go on. Explain. Well, I like him in Rear Window, and I like him as like the everyman who gets. But I, I think in Vertigo, is, it's for he's not dark enough for that. Yeah, that's you know that's awesome, Kelly Wand. Yeah, so explain why should well you know you you've just said it. Yeah, I love that. He's that's super cool. old in it, and it's Jimmy Stewart. He never seems scared enough of heights. Like there's no sense of like how the kind of terror he feels. And Cary Grant could do dark in some other Hitchcock movies, but just Jimmy Stewart is not a convincing. Well, isn't he even? Because I've seen Vertigo, uh, and isn't like isn't he kind of a, a dick to her? Like, doesn't he make her yeah. your hair color? He's like this obsessed, driven guy, right? And that's not Jimmy Stewart. Like, Jimmy Stewart is right. such a convivial everyman. Uh, that's an awesome pick, Kelly Wand. All right, I felt pretty confident. I, at first, I looked at. It's so awesome! It cut you off of the internet. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, while Kelly Wan resolves his... Kelly Wan, you can just taunt us over instant message uh, if, if that works for you. Um, but yeah, I love that pick. Uh, I don't know that I've seen Vertigo in... I, I mean, I used to love Vertigo, so it's really hard for me to imagine that he's bad in it. Ugh. What I miss? Sorry. Well, the you thing is, I mean, me uh, being confused that he was bad in it, and Tom waxing poetic about how awesome your pick is. Oh, he's um, he's just not the guy. Is, it, crazy is it a enough. casting problem or is the performance bad? I mean, you don't have to split those hairs if you don't want to. I guess I don't know the difference, but it also doesn't help that like the plot's really contrived, and I'm not even sure. Like, I don't know why she's wearing different hair and hanging around him if it's going to screw up the plan. 
And then does he kill her on purpose towards the end of the movie? I, do, I just don't. <laughs> when it's Jimmy Stewart, I just assume he's always acting from a good heart because he's Jimmy Stewart. And so that's why Vertigo confuses me. Like, I don't know how crazy his character is supposed to be or how obsessed. Yeah. Like, for instance, he shouldn't be cast in The Shining. Right. But like Cary Grant, notorious. Oh, no, no. He should be cast. You know what I take that? He should be cast in The Shining. Absolutely. Like Jimmy Stewart in The Shining would be awesome. That's true. So, okay, so here we go. Peter Cushing should play Obi-Wan Kenobi, right. and Jimmy Stewart should play Jack, whoever Jack Nicholson is. Jack, Jack is Torrance. Torrance. Jack Torrance. And uh, G- Lucas Black should be Danny Torrance. <laughs> I like that, Kelly Wan. That's beautiful. I see we have no women, because they're always... They always give good performance. Well, that would be sexist for us to pick that. Well, you know what? Dingus is your number one choice of female actress. Let's find out. Dingus, what is your number one choice for uh, great movie, great actor, bad performance? All right. Here's a quote for you guys. All right. Wacko's everywhere. Plague of Madness. See, I'm not sure. He's a spotty actor. I don't know that I would say great. Well, it's a good pick. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Monkeys. Did yeah. Kelly Wand get it right, Dingus? He did. He absolutely got it. And I think he's a great actor. Yeah, he's great in true romance, even, Thomas, you racist. Uh, my main reason for choosing <laughs> You just this... say that. Hold on, hold on. Kelly Wand, you just say that because you identify with his character in true romance. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> All right. When the All right, gangsters so... come in, I give him directions. So... <laughs> All right, so Dingus, go ahead. Sorry. My main reason for choosing this, and, and this is my favorite of the three movies in my 3-2-1 choice, because I really, really love uh, 12 Monkeys. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm bitter about Brad Pitt's performance in this because he got nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Um, for 12 Monkeys, doing just a wacky performance. When that year, that same year, 1995, he was in Seven, and I think he did an amazing performance in Seven. Just a, a great, that that sort of um, almost uh, Clarice Starling, Jodie Foster kind of performance where he's he's learning, he's ambitious, and he does little things, and but he's he's not just small, he's not a small part. I really love the way he works in Seven, and instead he gets nominated for this like I'm this wacky guy who's kind of crazy and moving his hands all around, and I can't stand that performance, and I I can't stand that it's nominated instead of something like what he's doing in seven because if you look at all three of the performances i choose they're i don't know that they're necessarily back bad acting jobs but i prefer smaller performances that are more meaningful and and this is just pyrotechnics and doesn't really mean anything to me yep but i think 12 monkeys is a really good movie well he's a red herring too so it's like his arms flapping his men is a ruse to make you not notice like, oh, he's the thing. I don't like his performance. Oh, wait, it didn't matter. See? Uh, the, the Academy loved his performance, though. <sighs> yeah. And I, and I loved him in Tree of Life, too. And I've loved him in a bunch of different movies. I think he's a really solid actor, and hopefully he'll just keep doing more. He, he seems to just do stuff that you don't expect uh, an actor to do. And I really like that. Dingus, not many people know this about you. I hope you don't mind me mentioning on the podcast, but you actually run the uh, Interview with a Vampire fan page on MySpace. Uh, so I just want to throw that out there. I see that more as a Christian Slater movie, personally. <laughs> it's I do the Lestat one, Tom. Come on. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> All right, good. So uh, here's my number one pick. 
Great movie, great actor, bad performance. And I'll do a line. Ready? I swallowed a bug. (laughs) (laughs) Would you do that again? (laughs) I don't know that I have it in me for a second one, because it took a lot of work. I had to get into character. I don't know what it is. Do it again. So, uh, I, I love. So Hearts of Darkness is a great movie. <laughs> Actually, you're right. That's not even in Apocalypse Now, is it? You know what? I don't think, I think if I were to watch Apocalypse Now, I would be waiting for the, the line where he says, I swallowed a bug. I mean, that's, that's just how crazy and wacky and just off kilter he is in Apocalypse Now. Um, so I really think, uh, Apocalypse Now, uh, is certainly an, an erratic movie, but it absolutely just has so much greatness to it. Brando, of course, is great. Uh, as an actor, he's done some amazing stuff, but you get to the end of Apocalypse Now and this, this just grueling journey that the protagonist has been through ends in a bloated method actor. <laughs> And that's just a terrible way. I mean, the the point of Apocalypse Now, it, it's from the Joseph Conrad novel Heart of Darkness, which was about uh, imperialism in the Belgian Congo and sort of, uh, uh, you know, this idea that that you, you go into the, the, the darkest wilderness. And that's kind of a metaphor for for mankind and what we're doing with uh, with imperialism in the third world. And, and so that's what Coppola wanted to do with uh, his story about uh, America and Vietnam. And then the the you know the the sort of wizard behind the curtain that you find this Colonel Kurtz character is supposed to be this emaciated gaunt mad fellow, and and Brando is just a clown to me. I mean it's just ridiculous the Brando stuff in Apocalypse Now. And I guess some people like think that it works or that it's kind of meaningful and maybe it's a more appropriate metaphor for America and Vietnam. I don't know what's going on, but I just find that ridiculous. Well, you can't get over someone who's not the right weight for the part, as we know from Breaking Bad. Like, you 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 can't you you can't not notice it. So when you watch Martin Brando in Apocalypse Now, you're constantly thinking, "So he's in the dark because he's too fat to look like he's been there." <laughs> well, it, <laughs> he just came it, out I of mean, his hotel. I you know it. Coppola was certainly expecting him to be gaunt. I mean, it was it was a surprise to them. This guy who's been like living off of bugs in the jungle for however many months he's been gone. You, you know, he he doesn't look. He looks very well fed, and uh, you know they shot it anyway, and that's fine. And I guess maybe that can work. But it's not so much his weight as just he's he's just goofing around and eating mangoes or whatever he's doing. And, uh, I remember yeah. liking. It. I remember thinking he had really weird line readings that I thought I don't know. It's been too long. You're probably right. I'd hate it now. I, yeah, I don't think it holds up. I mean, I haven't seen it in a couple of years, but I, I, just, I just don't think Brando's, as far as the climax of, you know, what's waiting inside this, the, uh, at the end of this journey, I just don't think it holds up. Uh, it's well, so yeah. anticlimactic because of yeah. everything Martin Sheen has done and all the energy he's putting into what he's doing. It feels like the whole movie grinds to a halt when we wind up there. I, I remember seeing, I remember thinking that early on that now we're just going to sit around and hear him mutter yeah, after yeah. after all this energy that Martin Sheen has put in and everybody has put in it feels like Dennis Hopper I mean Dennis Hopper in. they use Dennis Hopper to play you over to Marlon Brando Dennis Hopper at his most manic and then Marlon Brando yeah yeah absolutely. well and it opens with Tom Hagen too so you're like oh this isn't even the Brando it's Tom Hagen kicking our asses oh right right and Jeez. and and Han Solo <laughs> yeah, I don't know who that is, but um, <laughs> and Morpheus. 
<laughs> oh, that's right, Dingus. Oh, you know what? I almost picked Larry Fishburne in The Matrix. That's oh, a runner up. That's a runner up. We, uh, we can do runners up now. Uh, why don't they ever do Heart of Darkness? Is Heart of Darkness? My fuck. There have been Hearts of Darkness made. Uh, there was one with John Malkovich playing Kurtz, I believe. Oh, all right. Then so I, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you missed that boat, Kelly Wand. All right. Get it? Hey, you concede uh, that Marlon Brando is a great actor. Ooh, controversial. Well, now wait, isn't he? Is that controversial? Like, I, you know, I, have I seen other Marlon Brando? Oh, uh, what's that thing where, uh, oh, he's in The Godfather. I don't know if you guys know that. Uh, what's that thing with Matthew Broderick where he plays The Godfather? The Freshman. Uh, freshman, freshman right? Like, no, he's, he's a great, great actor. You're, you're right. Oh, oh, okay. He's awesome uh, in The Warrior. He's good as Superman's dad. Yeah. Uh, Superman's dad. What? What is the warrior, Dingus? Warrior. He's he and Joel Edgerton. Uh, Dingus, you don't know, right? Dingus. Uh, Dingus is referencing Tom Hardy's Brando-esque performance in Warrior, and it confused me. But but yes, yes, Dingus. There's Dingus, definitely please. see. To to be fair, you can see Brando, some Brando in Warrior. <laughs> so Dingus, let's just do jokes we can all enjoy. Okay, okay I'm sorry. <laughs> no elitism. In- I love him in On the Waterfront. I love that movie, and I love that performance. You know, when he's sitting there with Eva Marie Saint on the swings, and he's playing with her glove. He's he's great. He's absolutely brilliant. So that's a great choice, Tom. Thank I you. like it when he says Stella's name in an ordinary tone instead of shouting it. Oh, that's right. He's in that thing. Yeah. Ah, JK. <laughs> uh, okay, let's do runners-ups, because I seriously did think about maybe Larry Fishburne in, in The Matrix. Uh, having watched that recently, he's kind of goofy. I don't, I'm don't. i not sure I'm uh, buying Wait, wait. He's goofier than the movie and Keanu Reeves? I don't think the. I think Keanu Reeves is good in the Matrix. I think it, I like Carrie Ann Moss in the Matrix. Uh, Joey Pants in the Matrix. Certainly Hugo Weaving. Uh, I don't know. Isn't isn't he's good like, in the armchair scene where he goes, "Yeah, we're all batteries, babies, bullshit, blah blah." That's good, right? See how memorable it is. You know what? It, he provide. He's good in the dojo. That's all I really need. Racist. When they do the, the fight scene, that's <laughs> not racist. Uh, here you go. This is something racist. Uh, how about? Ewan McGregor in Shallow Grave. Wow, you're a tough is that, room. Is that pretty obscure? It's it's his like his first performance, and I think he's pretty awful in it because he's with Christopher Eccleston, who's really good. Carrie Fox is is fine, but you know it's Danny Boyle's first movie, and he gets this new Scottish actor named Ewan McGregor, and I just think he's really out of his depth in, in Shallow Grave, so to speak. Oh, uh, but he, uh... I, I think Ewan McGregor has done some great stuff. But you watch Shallow Grave, and you're like, oh god, that kid's not going anywhere. Really? Man, I haven't seen it in so many years. I can't imagine that. Watch it again. because Just because of how, how intense Christopher Eccleston is, I think. Um, and maybe it's just he's kind of an unlikable character in Shallow Grave. But anyway, that was one I picked. Uh, They're George, all unlikable. George Clooney and Michael Clayton. Oh, uh, that's one of my runners-up. God, I just hate, you know, I just would have, that movie would have been so good with someone who could actually do the kind of gravity that eludes... George Clooney. Um, I love him, but you watch him going up against Tom Wilkinson, and it's just embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Here's one. Go ahead. Well, no, go ahead. I've got a bunch of these. So so someone else, any other runners-up from you guys? Uh, Anthony Daniels in Star Wars uh, seemed uh, far-fetched. He'd have that kind of accent. (laughs) Because there's no British accents in Star Wars. Plus, Kenny Baker's so good, he totally overshadows him. Let me throw out this this uh, this potentially controversial one. What about Angelica Houston in Crimes and Misdemeanors? 
No. No. What's wrong I mean, with you? She, well, she's just so shrill. I mean, she kind of has to be for the script. Uh, okay. I mean, that movie I, I, is near perfect. How dare you? Woody's working through some issues, and he's cast her as. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it just seems like such a no-brainer. Of course, he has to do what he has to do. And I just think it could have been – if she hadn't have been so shrill, it could have been I, – I don't know. I love that movie too. I don't know about Near Perfect, but I certainly love that movie. But I'm not really sold on Angelica Houston maybe. I, I don't know. That's a tough I one. I think she's playing the part as written though. I definitely don't think it's bad performance. Like mm-hmm. she, there's no way to say those lines. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Well, if you say it that way, Kelly Wan, Martin Landau is just going to have you killed. Here's another one, uh, again, controversial, because I do think this movie is perfect, with maybe this exception, and I'm not even sure. You know what? I'm just going to say it. George C. Scott and Dr. Strangelove. Uh, No. Here's my case. I feel that Dr. Strangelove is such a sly, subversive movie and George C. Scott is playing it like it's a farce. Now, that kind of can work given the character that he is and, and what he represents, but the way he's just like chewing his gum, and uh, I, I sometimes wonder, is that maybe a bad performance? I don't know. I find it immensely entertaining, uh, but I don't know. I just want to maybe possibly float that one. Do you feel Slim Pickens gives a poor performance? Like That's not how he would talk. Slim Pickens is awesome. Are you kidding? That's what I'm saying. Oh, I'm saying that's... It's just how the movie is. Okay. All right. He's doing the same thing George Clooney. Wait, George C. Clooney's doing. <laughs> no, Slim Pickens is. It Slim Pickens has he's, like Slim Pickens is great in Doctor Strangelove because he's such this like relatable kind of vuncular guy. There's nothing really over the top about what he's doing other than his accent, and that's how he really talks. Peter Sellers is over the top as Doctor Strangelove. Right, but he's not as Merkin Mufflin and whoever the guy, the British officer is. So if George C. Scott had played three roles, he could have gone, well, he's two for three. Maybe. Exactly. Right. Right. No, but George C. Scott is a caricature. I mean, you can't help but look at the... I, I can picture the things Tom's saying in my head. I just don't want to accept it because I love that movie so much, but Tom's kind of got a point. Uh, There you go, Kelly. We've been outvoted. And again, wow. I'm just floating that. It, it's not. It didn't make a pick, but it's just something that I considered. Uh, here's another one that I actually pulled all the way back from, but that I was thinking about, and I've completely come around. I don't even know why. You know what? I'm going to mention it anyway for the heck of it. Uh, there's this amazing, not there's this great movie that I really, really love called Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, and Albert Finney is in it. And I am not. I've seen this movie like four or five times, and I'm I'm not entirely sure what Albert Finney thinks he's doing because he kind of uh, he's, he's a little out of control and crazy but I'm convinced it absolutely works for the movie in the end like what he's doing is kind of required like there's this kind of madness that has to happen to his character right. and he, he eventually rises to the occasion but watching him I feel like he's a little unmoored and I'm a little worried as I watch the performance sort of spin out uh, but I've come around on that I, I don't think I want to even uh, I would never put that on the list. I pulled back from that one. The the other one I was thinking of that that first sprang to mind when you mentioned Jack Lemmon doing um, Hamlet, I think it was, right? Um, was how I felt uh, watching Val Kilmer do Spartan. Um, oh, but I don't, yeah. well, I don't know if Spartan's a great movie, but I really really like it. But I don't think he can handle the David <laughs> Mamet language at all, and I just don't know what the hell he's doing. There's a couple of moments, and I just watched it again. 
early on where I'm like, what are you doing? And I like Val Kilmer, but I don't think you can call him a great actor. Don't, yeah, but don't you, what I love about Spartan is just watching him try to do yeah. David Mamet. I mean, you, you can definitely see it's like the gears are turning and they're not quite lubricated well enough and there's a little smoke coming out of his ears. <laughs> but, uh, I, I love how, how just he, he's really doing his, his utmost to just not be a regular Val Kilmer thing. Like he knows he's got challenging material and you can see him trying to wrap his head around it. So I find Spartan fascinating, but that's definitely worth bringing up, Dingus. Yeah. Uh, how about Chris Cooper in American Beauty? Uh, it's just the writing. I uh, okay, yeah, that, that's part of it. But uh, just uh, you know what, it, it is that kind of just typical like over the top, stereotypical, abusive dad kind of role. Like that, that stuff is terrible. But then with all the subtext about him being gay, like I, I just, I think you might be right, Kelly. One that might be the writing. Uh, it's just shoehorned in there. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Kind of like the mom. What about James Earl Jones and Conan? Is that a great movie? <laughs> Kelly Wan, that's just the wig you're reacting to. What about Silent Running and Bruce Stern? Oh, wait, what about Black Sunday Robert Shaw? Is that a great movie? I hate him in that movie. Do you really not like Robert Shaw in Black Sunday? I definitely don't like him in Black Sunday. I can't figure out what his character is supposed to be. If he's like a bureaucrat or like a badass or... Like, I can't imagine Robert Shaw, though, not being just absolutely fascinating to watch, though. You haven't seen it? I, not, no, actually, not since I was, maybe never, actually. I was going to say not as a kid, but I certainly remember, you know, when Dingus talks about it, I remember the poster and hearing about it, but I may have never seen it. Uh, yeah. I recently I recently rewatched Taking of Pelham 123, the original one, with Walter Matthau and Robert Shaw. And just Robert Shaw, and you know, maybe it's just my fascination with Jaws. Like, I can't divorce myself from that baggage. But just seeing Robert Shaw do anything, I'm just, I just find riveting. Uh, Watch Black Sunday and get back to me. All right. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like the CG takes over or something. Like, his scenes are just, I think it's the writing, too, there, actually. Right. Forget everything I just said. It's always the writing. Here's one that is also, I think, the writing. I really think this guy's a great actor, and I think a lot of people are tired of him, but I don't think he gets credit for the fact that what he does, he does very well. Uh, but I really hated Seth Rogen in Superbad. I hated him and Bill Hader, like the two wacky cops. They were just so out of sorts with what made that movie great, and I just found them so annoying by the time it was over. Uh, like I don't know that Bill Hader's a great actor, but I do think Seth Rogen is really, really good, and I just hated him in Superbad. Huh. I don't remember him. Right. Yeah, that, yeah, that's something we agree upon. That that whole Reno nine one one right element right. of super bad is horrid. All right, any other runners up? Uh, is that Act of Valor a great movie? <laughs> Who knows? Mm. Uh, Kelly Wand, I will see <laughs> Black Sunday. You see Act of Valor, and uh, we'll compare notes. How about Sam Neill in Jurassic Park? Is he bad? Really? He's not bad. That's totally the writing. What's he supposed to do? Oh, look, a stork. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> give him the, throw him a bone at least. Jesus. When Did he it? when he takes off his hat when he's supposed to be like, oh my god, look, it's a a patasaurus, and he removes his hat. Oh, it's green screen. Some people can do green screen. I don't think he can. <laughs> Poor Sam Neill. Uh, that shouldn't be your arbiter of great actor. Because nobody can do green screen. I actually almost thought about bringing up Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park, though. What? But I think he's he's kind of yeah he's fine because he's the comic relief and he's supposed to be wacky and weird and Jeff Jeff Goldblum. Is that a great movie? I do think it is. 
I mean, it's got just, great parts. It's got great parts, and when you consider that how new the CG was, and technologically, it's a great movie, and it does have great parts, and it's probably the last time you'll ever see Spielberg put children in danger, so we can be thankful for that at least. Except um, for Lost World and War of the Worlds, mm, and anything else with World in the title. What children were put in danger in uh, War of the Worlds? I seem to recall they were all fine at the end. Oh, the... <laughs> Son bruised his knee outrunning the fireball. Uh, you are right about World of the Worlds. Uh, Lost World, though, is that the one where she Jim Cotta's the yeah. dinosaur? Because I don't think there's no children were ever in any danger in Lost World. If you can Jim Cotta a dinosaur, actually, dinosaurs are no threat to you. I'll grant you, Jurassic Park's the last time you see a kid get electrocuted in a Steven Spielberg movie. <laughs> you remember <laughs> they get there? He's climbing the fence while Laura Dern. Oh, right, right. That's right. <laughs> He's and they blow mozzarella. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like R two D two in the back of the X wing at the end of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. And you go, oh well. He's, obviously, they're not going to electrocute a kid. This PG thirteen sappy ass Disney movie. And then he get, he flies off smoking. You're like, what? And then he's uh, fine. Just a cartoon. <laughs> so Kelly Wand, what is next week's three by three? What do you got for us? Uh, three best fat kids. <laughs> Because it's National Fat Kids Month. A few months. Want to get an early start? <laughs> okay, that's certainly a three by three. All right. I will not take anything off the table. <laughs> okay, three best fat kids. Uh, yeah. You know what, Kelly Wand? I just I my, my first reaction was okay. He's going to tell us the real three by three in a moment. But now that you haven't done that, I think I like this. Yeah. Well, right. it's just after your fucking nightmarish homework assignment. I know, exactly. This one I'm going to give it something easy and relaxing. And <laughs> Good. Yeah. However, for the movie that we are seeing, we're doing something a little different. Every now and then we might do this. Uh, we're going to catch up on a weird movie that uh, most of us have not seen. I say weird movie. Uh, it's a foreign movie. That often equates Ew. to a weird movie. Right. Gross. So here's what your assignment is as a listener between now and next week. Rent a movie, it's on Net, uh, Netflix Instant Watch, uh, called The Sun. I believe it's from 2002. It is a Belgian movie. Uh, we are going to cover that next week on the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast. Uh, we will also be doing Kelly Wan's 3 by 3 of Fat Kids. <laughs> um, <laughs> which... I can't get these two jokers to see John Carter, but I may post an opsis of it if I see it. Uh, you know what? Maybe we'll maybe we'll do John Carter of the week after. Let's see how it uh, how it opens. And yeah, Kelly Wand, I know you're dying to see it as an Edgar Rice Burroughs fan. Yeah. Right. Well, it looks bad though. I think John Carter, uh, the dumbest name for a movie ever. I know they took Mars out. It looks all, it's all Utah too, and it's supposed to be fucking Mars. And that chick's supposed to be nude and red. She's neither. John Carter of Utah doesn't have quite the same ring. The Noah Wiley story. I thought something came out the week after, though, that was going to dislodge. Project X. Oh, I saw that already. Spoiler. Whoa. And we're looking forward to 21 Jump Street. So there's good things coming up. Uh, Silent House with Elizabeth Olsen. We're looking forward to that. So, but for next week, it is The Sun, a 2002 Belgian movie. Uh, one of us loves it. The other two haven't seen it. So uh, join us next week, and, and we'll break that down. We'll tell you about our three-by-three three of our favorite fat kids. As usual, <laughs> as usual, please uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and rate us on iTunes. Oh, my God. That's right. There's a lot of homework for you. While you're watching The Sun, you can do rate, all of those like, things. Rate, like, and what was the third one? 
Follow. We're follow. now on Twitter. Great like follow. Right. right. We have a, our Twitter is uh, QT3, at QT3 on Twitter. Uh, Facebook, we're quarter three on Facebook. And iTunes, well, you just go to the iTunes store, search for QT3 podcast, and give us a rating. Uh, the Google offers, map us, too. Don't forget. <laughs> the offer still stands. If you rate us on iTunes, Kelly Wan will come to your house and hold a boombox over his head playing a Peter Gabriel tune. Uh, uh, my, yeah, go ahead. That's now someone's gonna write in. Watch. Look what you just did. Well, we can only hope. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I've been joined by Christian M- Murtaugh, I think. It's Fat Morosky. <laughs> and Kelly Wand. Jack Black's technically a kid in King Kong. La 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 la. Did you guys hear It's a Trap in Ariane? Yeah. Ding, it's not everything is about Star Wars. What? Sometimes it's a war is just a war. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to ding us at the... <laughs> Up Network on awesomepodcast.org.